The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. As soon as Jesus and the disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. As a child, and now as a young adult, I have always loved to read. And I especially love it when my favorite books turn into movies. And one of my favorites is the great trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings. It is the story of a war against Sauron and the forces of evil in Middle-earth, and evil's ultimate defeat through the destruction of the One Ring by Frodo Baggins and Samwise the Great. If you have read or watched these, they are filled with wonderful imagery that is so much more than just a good story. Tolkien, a faithful Christian, infuses his books with holy truths, which are easy to miss as you follow Frodo to Mount Doom. Heck, it's easy to miss because you're just trying to keep track of everybody's names. One of these holy truths is spoken by an old woman named Eurith. She lives in the town of Minas Tirith, the capital of Gondor, and she works in the houses of healing. She only occurs in one chapter of the books and the extended edition in the movies, but she speaks a truth that I want us to consider as we consider today's gospel. Eurith appears after one of the penultimate battles of the Great War. Many have been killed, including the steward of Gondor. Many have been wounded, not just by the flesh, but with wounds of the spirit. It seems as though the weapons of those allied with Sauron cause more than physical injury. They cause a kind of deathly sorrow to overcome you, a shadow that causes you not only to die, but to die in despair a shadowy possession of your spirit that kills your soul, even if the body is alive. These wounded ones have been brought to the houses of healing. And there, Tolkien tells us of an interaction between Eurith and Gandalf, the great wizard. As Eurith tends to those who are sickening and dying, she recalls a saying from an old lore, the hands of a, the king are the hands of a healer. 
and so the right king could ever be known. The hands of the king are the hands of the healer, and so shall the rightful king be known, repeats Gandalf. What a strange thing to say, especially at the end of a war, when more war looms and the war as they know it threatens to end. What a strange thing to say when the kings in Tolkien's great epic have all been turned by evil of the ring and seem to be in league with the evil Sauron, who wants nothing of healing and causes only despair and destruction. What a strange thing to say. And yet, Urith is so right. The true king of Gondor, the one called Strider and Aragon and Elfstone, arrives at the houses of healing and proceeds to take an overlooked weed and chases out the shadows. He tends to those who are thought to be almost dead, overcome by shadowy despair. He heals those who have been hurt by the weapons built by unjust rulers. And the word spreads out to all the people that the true king has finally come back to Gondor. For the hands of the king are the hands of the healer, and so is the rightful king known. I wonder if Tolkien had our gospel text in mind when he wrote this scene. Just as the people of Minas Tirith knew the shadow of oppression, conflict, and war, so do the readers of Mark's gospel. Mark writes to a context in the early first century, 60 years after the Romans have conquered the land, a time where the figurehead, Herod, sets up taxes and laws that left the land impoverished, where land was stripped from the poor and given to the wealthy, and then they were enslaved. It was a time where the context that Mark was writing for, the people truly knew trauma and evil. And in Jesus' day, illnesses were thought to be caused by shadowy spirits, local divinities that could be very good or very bad, and other unclean forces, just like those in the house of Minas Tirith. Those who were sick in Capernaum would not simply have been understood to be differently abled or differently bodied. They would have been understood as being held captive by some sort of shadowy force, removed from participation and community. The illness pulled them further away from God. Now, Mark's story takes place in a time of oppression and war and death around 70 CE. Even as Mark writes his gospel, the Romans have invaded and about to tear down Jerusalem and the temple. In this context, Mark lays out his testimony. In this context, that Mark testifies that a king has come, a Messiah, the Son of God. He testifies that the king has been attested by heaven, marked by the very Spirit of God. Mark testifies that this Son of God, the true king, this Messiah, will have the hands of a healer. Mark, of course, is not talking about medicine as we know it. 
He's not talking about vaccines and chemo treatments and bone marrow transplants. He's not talking about the treatment of diabetes, celiac, or Crohn's disease. He's not talking about the COVID-19 vaccine. All of this falls under the category of cure. He's not interested in biological sickness, not interested in cure, although cure can be a side effect. Mark is interested in healing. The process of treating the dis-ease, the discomfort, the dislocation, the displacement that comes upon those at the bottom of society from the oppression, repression, depression of an unjust world. Mark is interested in healing. The process of attacking those shadows that held people captive of Jesus' day, Mark's day, and our day. And so he tells the story, the story of Jesus entering Simon Peter's house and seeing Simon's mother and the fever that kept her in bed. And Mark tells us of how the true king comes with the hands of a healer and his healing does not just bring cure, the end of that fever. He brings restoration. As Simon's mother-in-law is restored to the ministry, to the service to which she is called. And the first thing she does is get up and serve them. And now this could be seen as nothing more but a plore to heal the woman so she can get everybody something to eat. And so we must consider how Mark tells the story. He says that Simon's mother-in-law, in her healing, engages in the Greek word diakonia, in service. The verb shows up once more at the foot of the cross, describing the woman who were Jesus' disciples, the ones who stayed when the men disappeared. Simon's mother-in-law is restored to service, restored to her role in the community of faith, restored to the whole person among the people of God, and she is restored by the touch of a king. For the hands of the king are the hands of the healer. Of course, it's not just Simon Peter's mother-in-law that experiences Jesus's intervention. The whole city shows up at his house. There they are, those oppressed by the shadow, paralyzed by the oppressions of their day, feverish by the injustices of the Roman Empire, limping, starving from the neglect. They gathered because they heard. They gathered because they hoped. They gathered because even in the midst of oppression, they believed in a God that strengthens the faint-hearted and supports the weak. They gathered looking not just for a cure, but more importantly, for healing. And they find it. As each individual is touched and healed by the Son of God, the Messiah, the true King. The hands of the King are the hands of the healer. It would have been enough for Jesus to stay and heal the town, restored it to wholeness. But Jesus does not do that. And after a long night of healing and prayer, he sets out again to proclaim an epiphany. 
the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, the manifestation of order, even in the midst of the Roman occupation. Jesus could have stayed, but that was not the point. The proclamation of the kingdom itself was a work of healing, of dismantling the shadows, of casting out the demon, shackling the people of its day, of the proclamation of the kingdom was a way of setting the oppressed free and continues to do that work today. And Jesus had to put his hand to this task also, for the hands of the king are the hands of the healer. We are all children of the king. We are about the work of the king, healing and restoring communities, claiming the inbreeding and the restorative work of God. It must be our hands that touch. It must be our hands that mend, our hands that make whole, our hands that call people back to community, back to service, back to the ministry in which they have been appointed. And this is hard work. This is the work of leaning into the light, into the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And when we are tired, when we are overwhelmed, when our hands are sore from binding and our hearts are full from overflowing, we come back to prayer, to service, and to song. And we remember that we are touched by the hands of the king. And we hear again the promise of Isaiah. that The king is not just a healer for those out there. But a king is a healer for those of us in here also. Restoring us, strengthening us, lifting us up on eagles' wings, that we may run and not be weary, that we may walk and have faith. As the wise woman of Ministereth tells us, in Mark shows us, that everyone, yes, even for us, the hands of the king are the hands of the healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. In the name of the one who was, who is, and is to come. Amen. <laughs>